0: enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with cube from first arkansas bank and trust member fdic
1: set inside here at the little rock touchdown club brought to you by arkansas urology david grilling coach gruden and he has uh, met his match and then some i would say oh
0: you know, and so uh, okay, we're gonna get to your dad in just a minute but one of the things i realized too i mean you have become a uh, sort of a you know you're a celebrity more than just football i mean you're a person now, like terry Bradshaw, we had terry here last year and I realized, though, that some people in this room don't know about the Chucky deal. They don't know. As a matter of fact, and so how many, how many don't know about Chucky? About, there's, any, there's a few. So if you could, Matt, would you put up on the screen. So, <laughs> so in reading your book, Harvey Williams, what happened was that Harvey Williams went the wrong way in a play that you had called. And he came off the field, and you gave him a look. And he, in the locker, I guess with the mediator, he said he looked like Chucky staring at me. Uh, and to this day, this is what you have been referred to. I want to see what it's like to have, you know, not only be a national personality celebrity, but also you have this connection to this horror doll, This was a horrible movie, and seven episodes of her, seven different movies. Thoughts on that?
1: Well, your mom's not real proud of that. He's a foul-mouthed <laughs> little fellow, this guy, Chucky. <laughs> he, all he does is kill people in every movie. So, you know, it was all in good fun, yeah. You know, I was an animated guy. I, I was calling the plays. Um, I really got excited about the plays, especially when you execute something, just like you practice it. You work on it all week. You pick up the blitz, the receiver runs the perfect route, the ball's delivered on time, and then a holding call calls it back. You come <laughs> unglued. You know, <laughs> Jesus you know, or you you're audible to a certain play, and the running back goes the wrong way. Uh, and I wore my emotions on my sleeves to a fault, and ultimately it got the best of me. Well, I love the, uh, I love the energy
0: you have, the emotion, the, uh, the passion. Um, You, I mean, and it's, 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 I mean, it's around the country so much that people have mimicked it. And this is one of my favorite clips. I can't remember when it came out. You remember when Coach was not coaching, you were doing the Gruden quarterback camp, which is a great, you saw uh, Ryan Mallett in there a minute ago. Uh, But you had a special guest one time, and uh, again, flattery is the, what what is the, what is the term? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Imitation is a serious form of flattery. So take a look at this. This is a uh, uh, Frank Caliendo doing the uh, Gruden quarterback camp Another fantastic year of Gruden's QB camp. We got guys like Teddy Bridgewater, Johnny Manziel, and Blake Portals. But there's one guy. This guy. I've always wanted to see this guy in the quarterback chair.
1: Good to see you, man. Good
0: to see you,
1: coach. I'll tell you what. <laughs> you look pretty good over there, man. It's a little intimidating being over there, isn't it? It's about to get a little intimidating over there, isn't it? I'll tell you what. I'm going to need a cleanup on aisle five after that look, man. I'll tell you what, you might. Things might have started. <laughs> that's good.
0: Uh, a good. Uh, that's a great Frank
1: what? Caliendo. I think mean, you had to love shooting that scene with him. You know, Frank, I like Frank a lot until he started calling my wife saying he was me. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> Caliendo became a real problem for me. <laughs> well, we had a lot of fun together, that's for sure.
0: Now, uh, Mitch is your dad. So one of the differences that I was talking about between you and Kirk is that you grew up around, your dad was a, a coach all your life and a scout. He scouted for uh, several NFL teams, coached He coached for Lee Corso at Indiana, he coached for Dan Devine at Notre Dame. So you grew up around it. I mean, um, I mean you, you were in locker rooms, you memorized, you knew every player's name and their
1: number. I mean, what a way to, to, to grow
0: up and to be influenced by football
1: and your dad. And especially at Notre Dame, no matter what you say. At that time, we had a guy named Montana. He was our quarterback. And um, it was just a magical time where you're, you're a young man and you're, you're growing up and you're playing high school football and you go to your game Friday night, Saturday morning, I go watch a Fighting Irish with that fight song and Joe Montana and the success that we had. It's all I really ever wanted to do. and. Um, Fortunately, I got into the business. I had a couple connections because of my dad and I got around some real smart people And they taught me and trained me and I, I got an opportunity and I I did the best I could to take advantage of it But there was nothing like being a coach's son. Yeah, your, your
0: first gig was uh, under Johnny Majors at Tennessee uh, You were you were straight at it. You played at
1: division 3 Dayton. You were a quarterback You called yourself a ham and eggs quarterback, which just I was. I was a GA, a graduate coach for Johnny Majors who used to coach at Arkansas under a guy named Frank Broyles. Remember that guy? So Frank Broyles came in to do the, the uh, clinic speech for Johnny Majors. And I had to entertain Frank for about an hour before his speech. And he said to me, Coach, what's your favorite play here? And I said, 64 Staymire. He said, you got a cut up of that play? I go, yes, sir, I do. Go, go get it. So I got the film, a 16-millimeter, and I laced it up. And he says, no, no, before we watch the play, get up on that chalkboard there and take me through it. Draw it up, teach me it. So I told him the shallow cross was six yards deep, and the deep over was 18 to 20, and the quarterback's taking a seven-step drop. And Coach Burles kept peppering me with questions. What's the split of the X receiver? Is he on the numbers, or is he on the outside edge of the numbers? Is it into the short side of the field or the wide side of the field? Now let's take a look at that cut up. So the first play comes up there, and he says, hey, didn't you say that shallow cross was six yards? I said, yes, sir. He says, how deep is he? I said, he's four. He said, how deep is that deep over? I said, 18 to 20. He goes, how deep is he? I said, 16. Didn't you say the quarterback was taking a seven step drop? What's he take? I said, five. He said, turn that that tape off. He said, son, what you see on film is what you coach. You're not coaching 64, state Meyer, worth a damn. And that philosophy stayed with me forever. Everywhere I went as a coach I told our coaching staff what people see on film is what we coach and uh, God bless Frank Broyles was he good or what? <laughs> yeah. yes.
0: You spent one year uh, At the with the 49ers your dad helped get that sort of gig for you You, you got a great experience. That was your first taste and the West Coast offense and then you go to Pitt and I love each way in the book each step, each step is a journey and you learn something and you were pretty confident, cocky, not cocky, but you were confident that you you knew everything you or you knew a lot. So when Walt Harris uh, decided to take you to his study and he started putting pressure on you and it's something that you've done in your tri- entire career, but I think it first started with Walt Harris and the pressure he put on you, you thought you knew everything and realized, man,
1: I, I had to learn more. Now, Walt beat me up pretty good. Wherever he is today, uh, these Walt Coleman's and Walt Harris, they've been a pain in my ass my whole life. But, you know, Walt Harris, he taught me another valuable lesson. You know, you either feel pressure or you apply pressure. And if you don't know what you're doing in the heat of the battle, you're not going to be able to make the right adjustment. You're not going to be able to make the right coaching point. So before you get up here and start coaching and screaming and giving all this coaching talk, get to the tech. Details And know what you're talking about yeah, and the one of the things about the West Coast
0: offense is that we talked about this on the plane ride is the terminology Uh, It's sort of the old school terminology where when you give a play it pretty much tells every person on the on the unit What they're supposed to do for example green right X shift to Viper right 382 uh, X sticky looky That's one or how about scatter to West right tight F left 372 Y stick Z spot so uh, I love that. and so uh, you can imagine since he's been taught all these years, you know to put pressure on the quarterbacks, he does that to all of his quarterbacks. Well there's a great clip I want to play now of you and Chris Sims. Oh, and he's the two <laughs> the two plays that I just meant, mentioned he wants it called in the huddle. and Chris Sims strokes a little bit. Let's take a look at that map.
1: So green right X. shift the viper right. Green, okay. right, X. green right X, shift the viper right. 382, X stick, looky. Here we go, guys. Green right, X. Shift to Viper right. 382, Y stick, look. X I'm one look. Right? X stick, looky. I'm one. Just go scatter to west right, tight. F left. 372, Y stick, Z spot. Here we go. Scatter to west right, tight. F left. 382, Y stick, uh, Z. Christ. Just go scatter to west right, tight. F left. Yeah. 372, Y stick, Z spot. Here we go. Scatter. Say it again. I'm... <laughs> Scattered yeah. west right tight, F left, 372 Y stick Z spot. Here we go. Scattered to... West right tight. Yeah. Scattered to west right tight, F left. 3 seventy. Three 372 Y stick y Z, y Z spot. Z spot. I'm already... Christ. Huh? I'm the problem. Might make me nervous, aren't I? I just couldn't spit about. it out.
0: Uh, that is a... Uh, mm-hmm. To me, when I saw, I see that, I think of
1: you that in the, the house of Walt Harris that time. You do. That's part of the deal. You're putting pressure to call the signal, call the play. And now you see why the University of Texas is having so many problems <laughs> with their football team. Um, just sarcastic there. But <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> it's Exactly right. You know, you're on the sidelines and you have to be able to memorize information. You know, you don't have time to say it six times. And there'll, there'll be times where the defense will substitute. They'll go to a nickel defense, you want to change the play. And Or one of your receivers you think is in the game comes out because he has a helmet issue or or he gets tired and you want to change the play. So you got to be quick on your feet. You got to be able to adjust in a hurry. And you got to put pressure on people in practice. You got to make practice just like it's a game. And that was kind of a tough example to watch, but that was an example of it. So so you come out of Dayton, you're 22, you get that
0: first gig, I think it's 1990, I think. Maybe I may be wrong with the year there. But anyway, you, you start the journey. Uh, and then obviously you, you wind up back in, uh, in in San Francisco. Then I think you go to Green Bay after that And we will going get, get, get into a couple of players from there Then you get your chance in Philadelphia with Ray Rhodes And then you get the chance to become a head coach man like six years you become a head coach you interview with Al Davis uh, What was that like to be able to start that journey at 22 and all of a sudden you're in your mid-30s and You're mid late 30s and you're a head
1: coach in the NFL. It, it was hard every year. They had an owners meeting and The head coach, the owner of the team, and the general manager would fly to some posh hotel. And the league office would come in and they'd have all these issues, you know, rule changes, uh, player safety issues, whatever it is. Uh, And I'm sitting there and I'm looking over there and there's Joe Gibbs and there's Bill Cower and there's Bill Parcells. There's Marty Schottenheimer. Dan Reeves is over there. Tom Coughlin. I called my wife. I said, We're not going to win a game, man. (laughs) It's tough. It was a culture shock, and I think, you know, one of the things I think that epitomized how I went about my day is I was always in a state of rage. Uh, I was a backup quarterback in college. I wasn't good enough. I was from a small college. Uh, The only way I could get by was I have to, boy, I'm gonna kick John Daly's butt. I gotta get in a state of rage. I gotta put myself in a state of mind where, boy, I hate the Chargers, and I want my coaches and my players to hate the Chargers this week. Uh, and that's kind of how I operated uh, all those years. Isn't that sick or what?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and obviously you get your opportunity with the Raiders and uh, You know had made some good things happen the next thing you know you're being traded a very unique trade to the Buccaneers uh, and You said you said you didn't see it coming, but it turned out to be obviously a blessing in
1: disguise Yeah, it was I, I grew up in Tampa. My dad and moms were still living there. They still do so it was uh, disappointing to, to have to leave a place where you had really uh, made a lot of friends and enjoyed some success and felt like things were going the right way, but um, you try working for Al Davis for four years. It's not all roses. <laughs> you know, when I interviewed for the Raiders, I was 34 years old. I was coming from Philadelphia, and the interview with Al Davis lasted about seven hours. And I'll never forget this. We talk personnel, then we go over here and we talk about... Training habits, and what are you going to do on the road trips? Or are you going to leave on Friday? Everything. It was all around the map. And finally, he says, get up on that chalkboard. Let's talk some situations here. And he called me Butch. I don't know why. Probably because of my haircut. He said, Butch, draw your best play third down and goal at the nine. got to have a touchdown. So I had learned from Tom Landry, the old cowboy coach. When Tom Landry drew a play, he would draw it in a specific color of ink. Then he'd put the chalk down, he'd get a different color, and he'd draw the defense. Then he'd take a different color, and he'd uh, do the blocking scheme, or the pattern. So I said, I'm going to be like Tom Landry. That's what I did. So Al Davis is sitting right here. He says, show me the play. So I get the red chalk, and I put up the formation. I get the blue thing. I put up the defense. I get the black thing. I start drawing, and Al says, what's wrong with the crayons, Butch? And I said, "I'm just trying to give you a color-coded presentation." He says, "Don't you know I'm colorblind?" <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> oh, so you, uh,
0: so you have this uh, this trade. You go to Tampa, and um, you know, reading, you know, the, the the journey that you had since you were 22, right out of college. I mean, it's almost exhausting. What some people don't realize: the life of a coach and all the stops you make along the way. I mean, it's a you had to have a, a wife like Cindy, who he's there to support you. And I, I remember there was one. I think you were going to Pacific, and and you had three months where you had to make money. So you're ripping up carpets. I mean, you know, just doing what you got to do to get to the next step. Just trying to. So I have to think uh, the the night of the Super Bowl in Tampa when you uh, when you won the Super Bowl, what it was like at the end. I've got a clip, and I just want everybody to see the the raw emotion of a guy who spent all of his life in football. And you've you've reached the ultimate prize. I mean, it's really cool. Matt, if you could play that,
1: it's the last. I, mean, gee, I love fighting yourself out of a hole. One stop! One stop! One stop! Come on! Dropping down, looking down, looking down, the There it is! There it is! The dagger's in. We're gonna win the Super Bowl. Super Bowl! I love the guys that play. You know, the pros. I a you, man? I'm so proud of you, man. I love you. I think that's, that's something that I've been real blessed with, to have had a job that I really like doing. Ooh. Besides your besides your family, great, greatest day, greatest night of your life, talk about a state of rage. That day, I was in a real state of rage. That was a great day. Um, you know, it was, it, was, it was weird because that's the only Super Bowl that's ever been played, I believe, uh, on one week. Normally, you, you win the championship game, and then you get a, a couple weeks before the Super Bowl, at least in the last 15, 20 years. Well, we had to go from Tampa all the way to San Diego, and it was a short week for us. Uh, so I let the whole team fly out to San Diego, and I let Simeon Rice, our most questionable off-the-field guy, be the chaperone. And all the coaches stayed back in Tampa so we could study the film and do the game plan. But uh, I don't think any of us slept that week. That was a great memory and that was a great win for sure. You know, 30 years in the game, Johnny, I mean, all the way from, you know, when you got out of date.
0: I mean, you've been football all your life. And we were talking on the plane ride coming up here. A lot, a lot, of, a lot has changed, you know, whether it be the NFL, whether it be college. Um, do you like where football is? And you can you can speak generally from from college and, and NFL. You can go any direction you want to. Really.
1: I'm concerned about it. I'm I'm concerned about it. It starts with high school grassroots level. Uh, that's that's where I am now. I'm back in Florida trying to help some young players. I think there's a lot of kids that aren't playing anymore. And certain high schools are loaded up. They're they're shoot. I mean they're they're good enough to play in the SEC. They got all the good players at one school and they're beating some teams eighty to nothing. So the competition is, is not what it used to be. Uh, I think people have lost sight about football, what it brings to you as a young man. I learned my, my leadership, my discipline, my mental and physical toughness. I worked, learned sportsmanship by being on a team. You don't need to be uh, a first-round draft choice or an SEC player to get the benefits of playing. Kids aren't playing anymore, and it really bothers me. And what's going on in college football, is, is it's like what's going on in this world right now. I just don't think we're all on the same page, and at some point, whether you're to the left or you're to the right, we got to meet in the middle and get back on the same team. Uh, that's what I—that's where I come from. So, you know, if Alabama is spending 20 million on players and Texas A&M is spending 30 million on players, I think it's—I think it's crazy, and and it should be even playing field for everybody. Otherwise, it's 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 not college sports to me. So I, I am really concerned about it. <clears throat> I wanted to, uh, obviously I'm sure you're, you're limited in what you can say,
0: but I, but uh, one of the things I thought that was important too is is that with the things that you've gone through, I know you're, obviously you're in a lawsuit right now, so you can't really comment on that particularly, but you know, the kind of person you are, I, I thought maybe it was important that maybe you sort of share and just my little bit of exposure around you and the things I've read that your players have said uh, and your, and your assistants have said and the coaches you've been under. Um, I think maybe there's been a different kind of person portrayed. I just want to give you the, the chance to talk about that.
1: Well, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm not going to um, uh, say anything but honest things here. I'm ashamed about uh, what has uh, come about in these emails, and I'll make no uh, excuses for it. It's just it's, it's shameful, but uh, I am a good person. I believe that. I, I'm, I, I go to church. I've been married for 31 years. i got three great boys. I still love football. I've made some mistakes, but I don't think anybody in here hasn't. Uh, and I just ask for forgiveness, and hopefully, I get another shot.
0: Uh, you said on the plane, and I think you said it on the buzz earlier uh, with Justin West, that. Uh, you might be game to even coach high school football. That's how much you <laughs> love football.
1: If you got a job open, put me down, baby. I'll, I'll be interested. But I, I, get, I get choked up, you know, because uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding out there right now. What you read, what you hear, what you watch on TV. Hell, I worked at ESPN for nine years. I worked hard at that job. I don't even want to watch the channel anymore uh, because I don't believe everything is true. Uh, and I know a lot of it is is just... Trying to get people to watch, but I think we got to get back to reality And that's why I look forward to Saturdays because you're gonna get what you deserve when the whistle blows And we'll see if the Razorbacks can get after Cincinnati, which I hope they do. Yeah, as a matter of fact You said on the plane right up you haven't had a chance to meet Sam Pittman, but but you like what he's doing I do uh, if you know anything about coach Pittman. He's an offensive line coach as he's coming up the ranks he didn't just show up at Arkansas and get the, the the big desk. I mean, he's an offensive line coach at Tennessee, offensive line coach at Georgia. And everywhere he's been, the offensive line, it goes back to Frank Broyles. What you see on film is what you coach. And when you watch Tennessee play, it's, no, it's, it's not a coincidence that two or three of his guys got drafted. When you watch the Razorbacks, it's not a coincidence that they can run the football and they know what they're doing and they're disciplined. So I think they have a guy that's – Maybe not as flashy and not, you know, this and that as, as a guy, as a, as a passing guy or whatever. But I think he's a blue-collar, tough, very, very good fundamental XO guy. And I, I think he's, he's a good person to, to respond to him.
0: Do you, like the, uh, do you like the game offensively? This is a guy, you know, your dad taught you this. He said, if, you, if you're going to get into coaching, John, uh, you got to be a quarterbacks coach. You got to know quarterbacks, and so that's what you have known. You're an offensive guy Do you like the the offenses the way they are now versus you know 25 20 years ago?
1: Not not really um, You know what's happened in the NFL and in college football is they've taken away time You're not allowed to have spring practice or you got to have shorter practices not as many practices You can't wear pads the NFL's try to eliminate all the preseason games no practices in the offseason season. Not a lot of contact with these guys. Well, that waters down the things that you can do. I mean, you can't be as um, thick in your playbook if you don't have a lot of time with these people. Now, when kids are transferring in and out, and they're changing teams after a year or two, I see Friday high school football, I see the same offenses on Fridays I see on Saturday. And now I'm starting to see those offenses that are on Friday and Saturday in the NFL. So it's, it's, it's watered down a little bit, Everybody's running a similar running game now, and um, I'm not as crazy about it as I once was, but I still like it. I like the
0: stat you threw at me. You said uh, you're a Super Bowl team. Did you say it was the
1: only team to never win? Well, Super Bowl 37 will be the last team in the history of football to win a Super Bowl without taking one snap from a shotgun. We didn't take one snap from the shotgun in, in 2002. And now you you can't watch a series of football without the shotgun. Uh, not even Walt Coleman can change that rule. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's uh, we're gonna do a couple of things. I'm gonna throw some pictures up real
1: quick. Just give me your initial reaction. Let's go. We'll start with uh, uh, Bill Walsh right there. Well, to me, he's the best. Uh, he's the best guy I've ever met in my football journey, and he. Wanted a lot of verbiage. He wanted a lot of formations, a lot of shifts, a lot of motions, different protections. And he wanted a quarterback that could spit it out. He wanted to empower the quarterback. He wanted the quarterback to stand in front of his team and have the answers and have the quick mind and the quick arm. And uh, he changed the game for me and a lot of guys like me. Uh, Following in that uh, tree, coaching tree, Mike Holmgren. That's a jolly green giant to me. Six foot five, yeah, I was five dude. foot nine. He used to look down at me. I thought he's gonna kill me a couple of <laughs> times, but You know what he did is he taught me to believe in the quarterback If you don't believe in your quarterback, you don't have one So we're in a staff meeting in 1992 Steve Mariucci Andy Reid myself. We're all real young guys Holmgren brought us in there and he said man We made a change. We made a trade. We got a we got a quarterback and we said who we get? And Holmgren said, we got Brett Farr from the Falcons. And I remember Mariucci goes, who in the hell's that? <laughs> so there was a lot of us in the building that are like, we traded a first round draft choice for a guy that was picked in the second round by the Falcons who couldn't even play? What are we doing? But Holmgren had a meeting, and he invited everybody in the whole organization. It was all the Packers, the people that did the fields, the people that were secretaries, all the coaches, trainers, everybody. And he says, Brett Favre is going to wear number four. And he's going to be successful because we're going to make him successful. And when he's successful, we're going to be successful and we're going to be here for a while. Now, if he's not successful, we're going to be out of here real quick. (laughs) But my point is, we spent hours and hours with Brett Favre, teaching him the formations, the plays, the pass protections. And uh, that's what I remember about Holmgren. He had the guts to believe in that one guy. And um, I think that's important as a coach, that you believe in your quarterback and you make him as good as he can be.
0: And uh, I think it was uh, number 14, you just mentioned, might as well put him up there. Brett Favre, you, when you, picked, you picked him up at the airport after the trade, right? You had just, and, and your, first, your first thoughts were like, man, I, I don't know if this guy is the right fit, right? Because, or could he, did he just impress you from a standpoint of maybe being able to pick up what you guys were gonna do?
1: He wanted to know where the beer, beer was. <laughs> You know, he has such a thick country accent. I just couldn't see him saying red, left, switch, Z, right, sprint, right, G U corner, half, back, flat. I mean, I couldn't imagine it. But the funny thing is when when Favre was the quarterback the first three years, there was no coach to quarterback walkie-talkie. You know what I'm saying? So I had to signal. I was the signal guy. So Brett had to come up with all the signals so he could remember them. So it was, uh, i never forget this, it was 22, and I would dance, 22 Dancer Z-Stutter Go. And he, he kept telling Holgren on the sidelines, call 22 Dancer Z-Stutter Go, I want to see Gruden dance. I swear, it's like third and eight, we're playing the Vikings. We're not calling that. Shut up, Brett. But he had such a confidence about him. It was never too big for him. He felt no pressure. He loved the game too, and uh, you know, being around him, I think, uh, has a lot to do with how I kind of evolved.
0: Yeah, you loved his personality. Oh, yeah. he, of course, you got up there. I think you were the first guy to just throw throw the ball around with you.
1: He said, "Like to knock you down." That you knew he had a bazooka of an arm. Yeah, we were playing um, the New England Patriots in Foxborough, and we had a play. Number one play was 22Z in, and the Z receiver runs a 12-yard hook. Well, Sterling Sharp was our Z. He was the best. And he was a mean guy. He was a tough guy to coach. He was rough. I mean, he was a real rough guy to be around sometimes. So Sterling catches the ball. He's nine yards deep. And the reason he ran that route short is he ran the full 12 on the practice field the week of, of the game. And Brett threw it so hard. He, Sterling never saw the ball hit him right in the throat. It almost killed him. So in the game, Sterling cut his route short so he could see the ball leave Favre's hand. That's how hardest guy threw it. But when Sharp caught the ball on 22-Z in our number one play for a nine-yard gain, it was second and one. Holmgren went berserk. He says, you better go get on him. You better go get on him. I'm going to watch you. You go yell at him. And I'm looking at Sterling Sharp on the sideline. So I went over to him and I went. (laughs) Ah, Damn, those were great days though, let me tell you. Speaking of
0: a great quarterback, how about number 12, Matt? I uh, wanted to get, this is a guy, obviously, you talked about at your youth, the great Joe Montana.
1: Yeah, well, there's nobody like him, perhaps Tom Brady. But Joe would show up the night before the game. I remember this in San Francisco. We at the hotel, and the coach would put in, Mike Homer would put in the first 15. We called it the first 15, first 15 plays of the game. And the meeting starts at 8 o'clock. So we're all in there, we're waiting to put the first 15 in and nobody, nobody can find Joe. It's like 745, 750. So one minute before 8 o'clock, Joe would walk in every time. And as soon as he walked in, Holmberg would say, we're good to go, man, let's start the meeting. (laughs) Let's start the meeting. But nobody ran a team, nobody ran a room like that. Nobody had that kind of football mind. And that's where I was telling our friends on the plane, you know, Greg and, and, um, uh, uh, Coach Kelly, quickness. When it comes to the quarterback, there's three kinds of quickness: mental quickness, arm quickness, and body quickness. That's it. And Montana, he was a he was a ten on all three of those areas. He was phenomenal. Uh, number uh, thirteen. This has got
0: a full circle in your career. You saw him your first gig. I think it was obviously your first coaching opportunity at San Francisco. Then you were able to sign him with the Raiders and talk
1: about how sort of difficult but great it was to have him at the twilight of his career that was a tough job because we had tim brown tim brown was 12th year 13th year he was our z he was our go-to receiver jerry played z in san francisco one of the few guys that played it better than tim so i said jerry you're going to play x you're going to be the split end now the problem is in the west coast offense every time you say right Every time you say right, the Z goes to the right. Are you guys with me? Every time you say the word left, trips left, dice left, double wing left, the Z goes to the left. So every time we called a play, Jerry and Tim would line up in the same spot cuz Jerry was used to going to the call. But uh what a what a what a phenomenal competitor he was and he's he's a pretty good golfer now by the way.
0: Great work ethic too. You mentioned too.
1: Uh,
0: show uh, show number fifteen. We'll wrap things up here in a few minutes with this. So, you know, I think everybody heard what you just said about you know the kind of person you are. And I think a lot of times when you find want to find out what a person is like is you look at their family. And uh, obviously, you've had you and Cindy have been together a long time. Matter of fact, did you did you mention already that that, that Coach Majors had gone out with Cindy? Uh, his daughter, do- his son had gone out with Cindy. Well, I was a,
1: I was a graduate assistant at Tennessee, and my wife was a cheerleader at that time. And she had been dating Coach Major's son for three years. Now, little did he know I had my eyes on her the whole time. But they broke up. They broke up. So uh, little Johnny G went in for the kill, man. They went in for the kill. I'm <laughs> uh, uh, really proud My my oldest son, Deuce. Is a strength coach with the uh back up again, Matthew. with the Raiders right now. He's out there, he's a world champion, power lifter. Yeah, I think There's you can see on which right. one that is. Yep. Obviously. My and, goodness. And uh, my middle son Michael is in Vegas. He's he's if you could write this down, it's Hexed. H-E-X-E-D. If you go on SoundCloud, that's his name. He's producing and engineering music. Uh, he's doing well. And then the kid on the left, he's a little he's a little a little different like his dad. He's a UFC fighter. He's been in the ring twice. And if he doesn't get out of that business soon, my wife will leave me. I got <laughs> well, you know, it. I maybe I could call Dana White and get him in the ring. Who knows? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it does make me think, Coach, you know, it's sort of full circle, is that your mom, you know, had to raise three boys. And you've talked about her and her wooden spoon. And has she had to referee games because your dad was gone a lot. And same thing with Cindy and what you went through. And so not easy being a coach's wife, is it, but how important no, they are.
1: No, it really isn't. And, uh, you know, thank God I met her. And thank thank goodness we've been able to stay together because it's, it's never easy. We can all agree on that, right? You uh, you have to work at, at everything, but you get what you deserve. And uh, we've been faithful to one another. We've had a lot of fun and been able to see some things that very few people have had a chance to see. Uh, I, think,
0: uh, what, I think what you said a minute ago, I think pretty much says it all, Coach. I appreciate you coming here and, uh, you know, he didn't have to do this, you know, and uh, all you did was want to come here and help out our club because you love football and you love people. And so, you know, I don't care about that other stuff. You know, I, to me, you can be around somebody for an hour and I think you can sort of know the kind of person they are and just like that guy right there. Uh, that loves everybody, and and uh, I just want to let you know that you are more than welcome to come back to Arkansas whenever you want to. Love to have you back. We wish you the best, in the, whether it's coaching or not. Thank you, thank you, Dave. Appreciate um, it, Dave. Thank you. And uh, we'll close. We'll close. We'll close with this. So I told him the I hadn't told him this story. So as you know, Coach Pittman wasn't able to take pictures. Uh, Kirk, Kirk Street had to leave early, and uh, so I would wonder if if Coach Green was going to be able to take pictures. And uh, so Mean Joe Green, when I brought him in a few years ago, his agent said, Mean Joe doesn't want to take any pictures. He doesn't want to sign anything. So I said, OK. Mean Joe was great. Loved Mean Joe. He was great with us. And I, we respected that. But I told Earl Campbell that, I said, Earl, I said, man, like, for example, Mean Joe didn't sign anything in this school if you don't want to. He said, that what Mean Joe said? That what Mean Joe did? So he came here and he said, you tell Mean Joe Green that I signed and took a picture with everybody in this room. <laughs> And, and Earl Campbell, who, remember, y'all, he's basically in a wheelchair, sat up here on this stage and took pictures with everybody. So I asked John, I said, are you good with doing this? I mean, you know, and John said, I'm in. I'll do pictures. I'll do whatever you want to. So the guy doesn't charge anything. He's here to take pictures with us. How about that? So let's give one last big welcome to John Gruden, everybody. John, great job.